Let me invite you to turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. It's so good to be back with you after a couple of uh, weeks away. I'm always grateful that Jim Jackson preaches the Word uh, while I'm gone, and I know you've enjoyed his exegesis out of 1 Peter and uh, his uh, explanation of God's call to be sanctified. And after we're justified, that's what we're called to do, to be sanctified. And uh, a constant theme in Scripture, we'll even think about that some today. Now, today we're in part three, talking about healthy churches and shepherds, instructing, protecting, and discerning. And uh, what I want to do is something that's been rumbling through my mind for the last several weeks, even a month or so. And uh, as we wrap up chapter 1, we're not going to read the entire thing, but we will read some portions of it. I want to draw a parallel to something that I think that uh, Paul, uh, through Titus, has been talking about. I pray that it'll be helpful to you. You know, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, when Paul says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness and hope of eternal life, which God who never lies, now we've talked about all of these things, promised to you the ages before the ages began at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted. I'm always amazed that God would use the foolishness of preaching to manifest His glory through the, the, the Word dwelling richly in the lives of believers and even breaking the conscience of those who are here who have never trusted in Christ, which is what we all hope it, it will always do. He says to Titus, my true child and fellow shepherd, in, I, I added that, in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ Jesus our, our Savior. And then he says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Now, he's not talking there when he says set in order what remains. He's not talking about first the the organizational, the, the structural. He's not talking about, hey, Titus, go in and help these churches develop a, a working constitution and bylaws or to create a policy manual. He's not talking about that kind of order. He is encouraging Titus to make sure, first of all, that the church has godly men godly elders, godly under-shepherds, who will sort out what is happening, at least in those churches, and to one degree or another in every church that has existed from that time, including perhaps even this church here. He's talking to Titus about helping him to help the churches distinguish between what is the truth and what is the lie. And this applies to people not only in the church, but in the world as well. 
So you see your outline. Uh, I'm going to make a jump in just a moment to a metaphor that I believe is found within this passage of Scripture, but we're going to walk through this. I, I pray as I've been praying that this will be, when I say helpful, edifying for those of us who know the Lord, to walk more closely, Jim, as you've been preaching about sanctification, but for those who do not know the Lord today, that maybe there is that warning that needs to be given so that you will see and your eyes will be open, your heart will be pierced, and you will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So join me in prayer. Father, I pray to that end that I have just spoken It is not my words, it is the word that you have given, your divinely inspired revelation through the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Titus. And so I pray, Lord, that as as in this chapter, he is told to instruct and exhort not only the, the true believers, the sheep, but he's also told to warn, rebuke sharply even, those who might be considered what you, Lord, called the goats. And so I pray that you would help this to be more than just instructive, to be a a time of, of celebrating the promises made to your people, a time of warning for those who are not yet in Christ that we might all hear. And so, Father, help us as now we study. We will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You've got your outline, and we're just going to walk through it, okay? Look at it. You can make the notes, do the Scriptures uh, as you are willing to do so. First of all, let's get this down. I'm not the first one who said it, who has said it, but I've said it over and over again. In the world and in the church, there are only two kinds of... Two groups, two camps, whatever you want to say, of people. Now, for a lot of us, this is not anything new. We've been talking about this. But for some who might have come in today out of a a world that is not used to this teaching, this could be one of the biggest paradigm shifts that you will experience And for some, it even might sound offensive. While I was away, I read different articles and I just was mentally preparing, jotting down notes for this sermon. I read an article that that looked to me, if 10 years ago, I might not have thought a thing about it. But here was the title of the article, Reaching People in a Pluralistic Society. That caught my mind, because if you look at that and you listen to that, that is opposite of what I just said. The world around us teaches that there is this thing called pluralism. In other words, there are many realities, or there are many truths. We've heard people say that. We've heard politicians say that. You have your truth, and I have my truth. Now, let me just say, so that you will have no doubt, that that is absolutely false. 
not only biblically, but logically. You can't live like that. And no one who claims to believe that can live by it either. In reality, there are only two. Two opposite or contrasted realities or states of being. In biblical terms, listen to this, it may be opposite, but it is not equal. Now, I always encourage you to test me out on this. And primarily because this is in the culture this is in the culture in which you live. And so let's go back and verify from the Word of God that this is what God's Word says. There are only two. Let's go all the way back to the garden. There were only, now there were a lot of trees, but God planted in the middle of the garden how many trees? Two. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That began the whole, not duality, but what one man has called the two-ism. Cain and Abel, there was either one or the other sacrifice. One was acceptable, one was unacceptable. And throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, the prophets kept saying, Israel, there is only one way. There is another way you can go, but the one way is God's way. The other way is the way of worshiping idols and substitutes for God. Let's jump to the New Testament. How many paths did Jesus say there are? Two. There's the path that is the narrow path that leads to life. There's the path that is broad that leads to destruction. See, there is one of two. Now, by the way, let me stop and just say this. You are on one or the other. There is no middle ground. Jesus went on to talk about two foundations. There's the solid foundation built upon the rock or built upon the sand that will ultimately be destroyed. There are only two kinds of trees. There's a fruitful tree and there is an unfruitful tree. Let me show you in Romans 1.25. Again, we've looked at this verse before. But let's boil it down to this, and I, I, I need you to look at this, and I need you to realize that you, okay, let's try to personalize it as much as possible. Two realities, you're in one of two of those. Paul says this, talking about them, then he's going to talk about us, but they, the people that took the route that is not the route you want to take, exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Now remember, go all the way back to the garden. Two realities, the truth and the lie. Mankind has exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Now watch this. What does that issue forth into? That issues forth into you and me either worshiping and serving, watch this, the creature, that which has been created, or you worship and serve the Creator, the one who has made all of the stuff that people worship. Now, people today, living today, say, well, that was Old Testament. Uh, we, we see that clearly, where they used to worship a stick that they had fashioned into an idol, 
And then with the other end of the stick, they used to burn in a fire to warm themselves or cook their food. But that's easy. But, but we don't do that today, do we? You see, ultimately, worshiping and serving what is created is worshiping and serving, and this is a good translation of this word, the creature. You, right now, not will, you are worshiping and serving the God who created you, or you are worshiping and serving the creature, ultimately it's yourself. See, atheists don't get to get away from this. If they are not, by definition, worshiping the one who created them, then they are worshiping that which has been created, and ultimately they are worshiping and serving themselves. And that's why I say in the world there are only two kinds of people. And we're going to get to the application that you see of the other points on the outline in just a minute. Because, again, we live in a world of plurality. We're told there's so many different ethnic groups or identity groups. I can't even keep up with all of the different kinds of identities. But you need to know that the Bible, God's Word, says that there are really only two. You worship and serve Him or you worship and serve ultimately yourself by worshiping and serving what he has created. You know what that means? We're going to come to the end and talk about this a little bit more. Hear this, please. Jeremiah reminded us, Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah 25, there are really only two outcomes. Idolatry always brings God's judgment, whether you worship things or worship ultimately yourself. Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them. Does that sound familiar? And to provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord. I've been reading uh, in my quiet time out of the book of Jeremiah for a while, and just over and over again, you would think the people of God would get it. Appeal after appeal, warning after warning. And there are only two outcomes from that. You worship and serve the created or the creature. The outcome brings God's judgment. And then you jump to the New Testament we need to be reminded, Luke chapter 16, the story that Jesus told of the, the, the poor man and the rich man, Lazarus and the rich man. There are only two destinations. Would you please get that down? Two outcomes, God's blessing, God's judgment, two destinations, a life of blessedness and joy with the one who created us or the curse of torment for an eternity. And by the way, don't be fooled by other groups that tell you otherwise. There's no purgatory. There's no halfway house where you can hammer out details. There's no reincarnation. I'm amazed at how many people 
who profess to know Jesus actually believe that we are recycled and we get another shot. There's no soul sleep. That's been a common teaching for a long time. And there's no just all of a sudden, you just cease to exist. About half of Hollywood would have you believe that. Half of Hollywood believes that you're just this kind of ghost appearing thing. There are only two outcomes and two destinations. Could I ask you a question that is not rhetorical today? Please, please, open your ears, open your eyes, open your minds and hearts. Which, to which destination are you headed today? Which outcome will you experience? If you're sitting there and you say, I don't know, I hope that when we get to the end of this, that you will know, even if you're headed in the wrong direction. And the realization of that will cause you to repent and to believe in Jesus. Now, here's what I want to do. I saw this, and I've been doing a study on it. I'm amazed at how often the Bible talks about sheep. And I saw in this passage of Scripture that Paul was talking about sheep. But I saw that he was talking about mixed in with the sheep, and they're in every church to one degree or another, are the goats. Now, I apologize for a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned sheep and goats, and I joked about it. Anybody remember that? I'm not going to repeat the joke because I started thinking, that's not something we need to joke about. Two realities. Two destinations, two outcomes, sheep or goats. So we're going to use that metaphor that Jesus gave us, that word picture, and we're going to go through the rest of of this morning looking at Titus and how he speaks to the sheep and he speaks to the goats that were there. There were a number of goats. Now, the goats can manifest as false prophets. We're going to go through this, and I'm just going to tell you there is a distinction between sheep and goats. So let's rip and run. Let's get to the uh, second point there in your outline and talk about the stark differences, the contrast between sheep and goats. Here, Here we go. Sheep believe in and know the shepherd. And if you're a sheep today, you believe in and you know the shepherd. Goats at least in this setting. By the way, there are a lot of goats out. Most, the people in the world are, are goats, and we'll, we'll see why at the end of time there's going to be a great separation, goats and sheep. That's it. But right now we're talking about goats in, in the church. And so goats profess to know him, but do not believe in and do not believe the shepherd. Let's look and see what Titus says. Uh, Paul says through Titus, therefore rebuke them sharply. Now, in my study of this, I realize that the rebuke them, who's the them? It's both the sheep and the goats. Why would he rebuke both sharply? We're going to get to the rebuking of the, the goats, but sometimes, please hear this, 
Sometimes sheep go astray and they listen to the goats inside and outside of the the church. And sometimes there are goats that are out there preaching and you listen to podcasts or other sermons and you're not hearing the pure word, you're hearing a diluted word or a false word. And so, you, you, what do you do? If you're a shepherd who loves the sheep, if I love you, what am I going to do? I'm going to rebuke you, sheep, sharply. Why? So that you can be sound in the faith. I don't want to be unkind to any of you. But I am willing to rebuke you sharply where needed so as to help you get sound in the faith. Is that fair? So Titus speaks of rebuking sharply. Well, let's just look at what Jesus had to say in the Gospel of John about sheep. Now, this should be present tense for every one of you. Are you listening to me? My sheep are hearing, present tense, my voice. See, if you're here today in this sermon, you know, a sheep is going to hear these words of this sermon and, and is going to zero in as much as he can or she can. If you're a sheep and you're going to be hearing with crystal clarity what the Holy Spirit wants you to hear. Because he says, my sheep hear my voice. Oh, by the way, we're going to get into the goats in a minute. You know what this, so far this sermon is going to sound like if you're a goat? Blah, 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 blah. I'm serious. And, and goats will go out of this place and they will they'll might remember things that they liked and that kind of helped them so they could be better they could be a better them and all the rest of that, but primarily they're just not going to get it. You see, his sheep hear his voice and he knows them. Do you know this is one of the most critical things, the statements? It's not just that you know Jesus. I hear a lot of people talking about knowing Jesus. The real question is, does he know you? This is a marvelous definition of what it means to be a Christian. Children, Look at it. It couldn't be simpler than this. My sheep are hearing my voice, and I know them. Now, watch this. There's something else that's happening. You are following Him. You're looking to the words of Scripture, and you are seeing what Jesus does and how He lives. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, you're seeking to follow Him. That's what a sheep does. A goat doesn't do that. By the way, I'll say this again. A goat might do religious things, but he's not following Jesus. Now, here's the crux of it. These are the people to whom I give eternal life. I give eternal life to my sheep. And you can have such an assurance of this. Look at this. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, sheep are saved. If you're a sheep today, you have believed in Jesus... On a daily basis, you are hearing Him and you are following Him, not perfectly, but you are following Him. And even more importantly, as I said a minute ago, if you are His sheep, He knows you. You are known by Him 
and you are the one to whom he gives eternal life and to no one else. So let's look at the goats. Titus 1.15, the last part of it says, to the defiled and unbelieving. Now these are people who are in the churches of Crete. And these are not ones that are going to get sound in their faith. These are the defiled and unbelieving. Nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Let's go back. Right before that, John 10, 27 and 28, he's talking to religious leaders, and here's what he said. You do not believe me because, guess what? You're not a sheep. You're not a part of my flock. Goats are unsaved. They have never savingly believed in Jesus. They are not hearing his voice. We're not talking about some mystical thing. They really don't care about reading the Word. They don't care about the voice of the shepherd is going to be right in this book. They, 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 don't, they don't care about that. They're not hearing his voice, and they are not following him. They don't seek to make his lifestyle something that they pursue. That's the life of a goat. Now, get this. They could very well be engaged, please hear this, in religious works. Following Jesus and doing religious stuff are not necessarily the same things. Paul goes on to say, they profess to know God. How many people have I talked with just in the last couple of weeks while on vacation who profess to know God, but their lifestyle absolutely defies that? They deny Him by their works. Works don't save. Works are a fruit as Jim has been teaching, sanctification, they're a fruit of justification. We know that. We're going to talk about the end at the end. But I can't help but putting this passage of Scripture that Jesus spoke about at this point. Because sheep are, are saved and goats are not. Goats are lost. This also is a picture of, of, of judgment. However you want to put it, whenever you want to put it, there will come a day when there will be goats, and, and this is going to be a part of the conversation, not the entire conversation on judgment day. We'll see some of that in just a moment. But there will be people, the goats, who will say to Jesus on this day, I just said that they do religious things, okay? not good works. They can't do good works. They're unable to. But they will say, Lord, Lord, but they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, did we not prophesy, preach in your name, cast out demons? Whoa, that's some heavy hitting. Do mighty works in your name. And then I said a minute ago, the real point that you need to get down is not do you know Jesus, but does he know you? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
You see, you, you weren't my sheep. You didn't hear my voice. You didn't follow me. I did not know you. I do not give eternal life to you. And I'm perfectly just in doing that, he will say. He's perfectly just in saying, depart from me. I never knew you. And I have to stop and ask, which are you today? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Here's the second thing. Sheep are being purified, sanctified, and they practice good works. Goats have an appearance of godliness but are defiled and they are unfit for any good work. Let me show you the picture of a sheep. Titus 2.14, the first part of it. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. And isn't this amazing how that some of us grew up with the idea you just get saved and go to church and try to be moral. Look at this. Jesus was given to redeem us from lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, watch this, who are zealous for good works. You're not perfect if you're a sheep, but I'm going to tell you this, you are zealous for good works. When you fail to do those things growing out of your relationship with the Lord Jesus, you just cringe. You go back to the cross. You say, thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven of that. I stand in your presence totally justified, but oh God, I want to be sanctified. I want to be purified. And much of that, if you're a sheep, that's going to happen right up here. Where people don't even see it, but you're going to have that constant desire. Because justification is only the first step. Sanctification continues God's work to conform us to the image of Christ. Let me have a, ask you a question. I used to ask, when I was a youth pastor, I'd, I'd ask the kids this. I'd say, once you get saved, can you act can you live any way you want to? Yes or no? Okay, that's a good answer. Some of these kids are listening. Okay, by the way, all of this stuff is really good to have some table talk around dinner, the, the lunch with. Talk to your kids about this. Now, this may be a, a little bit of a nuance, you can't live any way you want to, but in a sense, you can. And here's why. If you are truly a sheep, God changes your want to. If you're a sheep, you want to be purified. You want to live for Him. It grieves you when you don't. And so you'll think of that, about that. John, 1 John chapter 3, beloved... We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Watch this. If you've got that hope, you're a sheep because everyone who thus hopes in Him as a sheep purifies himself as He is pure. And there is a constant thing. It's a twofold Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. But if you are not 
constantly seeking purification. And there is an up and down to this, folks. There is not a perfection thing to this. If you're seeking that, that is evidence, good evidence that you're one of his sheep. This goes all the way back, the book of Acts. First sermon right out of the chute. On the day of Pentecost, this is not some kind of a thing that people will blame Paul of being kind of skewed and all the rest of that. Peter on the day of Pentecost, first sermon. Founding of the church with the many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourself from this crooked, perverse generation. You got to live in it, but that doesn't mean that you have to wholesale identify with it. That's the sheep. Let's look at the goats. Okay, Titus 1.15. To the pure, we said this a minute ago, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Goats do not desire the purity of Christ. Once again, I'm going to go back to the twoism. There's no middle ground. If you're not struggling with the fact that you're not as pure as you want to be and you know God wants you to be, if you're not separating yourself in ways from a perverse and crooked generation, if you delight to be defiled in your mind and conscience, I can't judge you, but I can tell you from the evidence, you're a goat. Second Timothy 3.5, again, goats aren't always evil and sprouting horns and with a pitchfork. They can have the appearance of godliness. By the way, that's not godliness. What is the appearance of godliness? Come on, goodness. We, 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 did, we did a sermon out of 1 Timothy about this. God is not out for you to be good. He's out for you to be godly. Really, it's easy to be good. Kids, I know you probably have a hard time believing that. But the real issue is not that you're after goodness, you're after Godliness, and guess what? If you're seeking godliness, goodness will follow. So goats may appear to be, appear to be godly. They do good things and, and even have the appearance of the desire to do good. But listen to this. It's usually by their own standards. And then I go to 1 John chapter 3, 6, first part of 8. No one who abides in him keeps sinning. No one who keeps sinning has either seen him or known him. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. He or she is revealed by the lifestyle that they lead to be a goat. You know, they're, they're all the time, but there are times along the way when I ask, how can people do the things they do? I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. I, I read a book 
a while back, Killers of the Flower Moon. That, hap that happened in Oklahoma, in Osage County. That happened here with people who professed to be Christians. I don't know if I'm going to see the movie, but I'm telling you the book. And I, Jan and I both read it, and we, we said, how can people do the things they do? Look at what's happening over the last week or so. How can people do the things they do? The most ungodly things. And guess what? To a great degree, the people who are doing atrocities can actually call them good. So be careful, goats. Don't measure yourself by your own standards. Rather, measure yourself by the standards that God gives. I had several conversations while we were gone with good men. Two conversations with good men. Tried to steer it towards spiritual things. You know what they both said? I'm not religious. In so many words, each one of them, I am not a religious person. I just try to be good What do I say? Hey, I'm working on the sermon about sheep and goats. You know what? You're a goat. If you don't know Jesus, you're a goat. You're destined for eternal torment. Well, I didn't say that. We didn't get that far in the conversation. All around you, maybe in, maybe in this congregation, there are people who think, all i got to do is try to be good, and that's it. But they measure goodness by their own standard, not by the standard that God gives. Which are you today? A sheep or a goat? Let's move on to the fourth one. Sheep love the truth and hold to God's Word. Goats hate the truth and contradict God's Word. Titus 1, 19. Or nine, A, he must, this is about the elder, the, the shepherd, but it, it filters down to all of us. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Sheep loves the word of God. Now, by the way, sheep can struggle with inconsistency, but I'll tell you this, a sheep desires to read this book. And to know it and to have the, the Holy Spirit, as you're reading, take that book and apply it to your life. And this doesn't mean that we don't grow in our understanding. It doesn't mean that sometimes we struggle with submitting to God's Word, okay? Apollos had to be instructed. He wasn't quite there. Peter fell back. You remember that? He had to be rebuked. But a sheep loves God's Word, seeks to hold to it. A goat does not. They also, and also, Titus, you are to rebuke those who contradict God's Word. Again, not perfect understanding, but goats really don't care. They're just going to contradict it. They don't care. They're not going to take the time to even look at it and compare what they think with what the Word says. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, Deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, one of the most devout religious groups 
Judaizers. And yet, Paul reveals here, those folks are goats. They don't love the Word. Now, here, here's, and this grows out of a conversation that I had just this past week with one of those men. Uh, have you heard anything like this? Uh, he, he was trying to, to sell Jan some jewelry. And he said, you know, my philosophy is just follow your heart. Now, that can be used for a lot of things, relationships, all, a number of things. Just follow your heart. Now, he actually said this. I thought, this is one of the best sales techniques that I've ever seen. He said, what I say, if, 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 if a woman, he didn't say it to Jan. I was standing there. So, uh, but he said, Here, if she's looking at a piece of jewelry, literally, he said this, I tell her to pick it up and hold it to her heart. And ask, what is that saying to your heart? Yeah. Listen, a, a, a good salesmen, whether they're selling jewelry, they don't just, if it's in the case, what do they do first? They bring it out and put it on the counter. But then what do they do? Try it on. If somebody's trying to sell you a car, they don't just say, look at it on the showroom floor. What do they say? Do you want to drive it? Take it home for a little bit. Show it to your wife. It'll make you feel so much better. That is what a goat says, follow your heart, because they do not love the Word of God. No, follow God's Word, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So again, I ask, not rhetorically, which are you today? Your sheep, do you love His Word? you love spending time in His Word? you love learning from His Word? Or do you just don't give up? rip about being in his word and certainly not submitting to it which are you today last thing here we get to the to the real nitty-gritty of this sheep will go into the eternal kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world goats will go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels are you listening Titus 3.7 talks about sheep being justified by His grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they are following me. I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one's going to pluck them out of my hand. If you're a sheep... You don't get plucked out of God's hand. By the way, you don't have your name erased from the Lamb's book of life. It's an impossibility. The sheep has an eternal hope of a kingdom that has been prepared for them. Not so with a the goat. 
There's no small reason that Paul said this, knowing that such a goat person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. He's not only condemned by God, but he also deep down inside, if he really, really listens, he is self-condemned. Matthew 24 tells the certainty of the return of Christ. Is Jesus coming soon? Has that fact been altered by the events of this past week? According to some prophecy teachers, the certainty is Jesus is coming. We don't know the day or the hour. That's what Matthew 24 is all about. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus shifts. Instead of talking about the certainty, he's already established that. He's already pinned that down. What does he do in Matthew 25? He tells two stories and then a future event. And it's all about warning. And it's all about being watchful and being prepared. Matthew 25 is such a It is such a grace-filled chapter. He's warning people to be prepared. He's warning us to be watchful. If you are more watchful this past week with what's happening in Israel and Gaza than you were a month ago, then you really haven't been as watchful as you need to be. You need to be watchful every day. Guess what? You need to be prepared every day. Let's look at some of this. Don't have time to to get into all of it, but here's what's going to happen. Again, we don't know when, but this is is all mankind. This is going to include all of us in the church. But on that day, it says, "...when the Son of Man comes in His glory..." The angels with him, that's reminiscent of 1 Thessalonians. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We know that he says he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats On his left, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire. Now, wait a minute. These are people who did religious works. They're going to cry out, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? Some of them, some of them, primarily in churches. Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That is literal. And it is just, and it shows forth the glory of God and His wrath and His justice. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Which group are you in today? On that day, and it is coming, There will be a separating. Which group will you be in? 
a lot of it is determined by which group you are in today. Now, reading through that passage, here, here was something that was interesting to me. True to form, the sheep are surprised that they get in. Did you notice that? Uh, it doesn't say it in the, this passage. Read through that entire passage. They're surprised. Enter into the kingdom prepared for you because you did this, this, and this. Lord, when? We just, we just were doing the works of righteousness. We were seeking purification. We weren't doing anything special. Well, you were doing the works that I called you to do. They're surprised that they get in. That's humility. Ironically, the goats are also surprised that they don't get in. What? Haven't, haven't we been doing the stuff, Lord? He is, depart from me. I never knew you. So, if you're a sheep, you are surprised by the grace of God that will give to you the promise of the kingdom that is to come. You believed in Jesus Christ. You believed that He took the wrath that was due to you on Calvary's cross. You are prepared. And so you are confident. And you read words like what Jesus said, Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Again, the irony is that if you're a goat, you're unconcerned about your future too. You just either don't think that it's really going to happen or you're going to be unprepared. And you will experience the second death. I had a thought. Test me out on this. Just think, have this conversation today, would you? The events of the past week have really heightened all of this for a lot of us. But here's what the focus has been. I read the politicians, I read other people, and, and it's just like the focus in our daily lives. How can I avoid death? How can we get a peace accord in place that can cause all of these people not to be killed? How can we avoid death? What's the answer to that? Physical death, you can't unless the Lord comes back. It is appointed for a man once to die. You can't avoid it. And you don't really, for all practical intents and purposes, know exactly how that is going to come. But the real question ought to be, how can I be prepared so I don't face what Revelation calls the second death? Of being thrown into the lake of fire. You see Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed once for a man to die. What's the next part of that? After that comes the judgment. Here's the call today. I, I wondered today, if, well, would anybody here really have the question, gosh, I haven't really been living for the Lord, and I know it. 
Am I a goat? By the way, just parenthetically, I don't see any place in the Bible where goats get saved. I do see where that we were all children of wrath as the rest. So rather than worrying about if you are a goat, why don't you do this if you have not been hearing his voice, following him, ask the Holy Spirit to help you repent and to turn to Jesus Christ as your sin bearer. The Bible makes a promise, you will be saved. I read just yesterday a quote from J.C. Ryle. I love J.C. Ryle, a uh, Puritan from another day. He said, it would be well for the church of Jesus Christ if the warnings of the gospel had been studied as much as the promises. My prayer is that I have delivered to you today both. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that those sitting under the teaching of the word today in the last several weeks would see your heart for your sheep, how that you keep your sheep. Lord, how we have wondered. I know I have. And yet you've, you've left the 99, you've pursued the one. And how grateful we are for that. You call us to yourself. You've granted us repentance and faith. Lord, you keep us in the fold, in the flock. We pray that we would live out now the reality of hearing you and hearing from you in your word and seeking to follow you and be purified. Look forward to the promise of eternity. Father, if there is anyone here today, I pray in the name of Jesus, that person who is not following you, not seeking purification, not loving your word, holding on to it, that that person would repent, would believe in Jesus savingly, believe that you are the Savior and the Deliverer of the world, and that you can change their lives. And they can bank on the promises that you give to your sheep. Oh God, how I pray that that would be affected today. Father, we love you and we thank you and pray that as you have called us to yourself, that we would live it out today and for the rest of this week. We pray for the situation in Israel, for the loss of life, because we know that probably the majority of those who have lost their lives did not know Jesus. Whether they're Jews or Palestinians, they, they did not know Jesus. They did not call on his name. and Therefore, will be swept into eternity without Christ. Help us to pray for them. Pray that they would know Jesus. And do what we can to affect the eternal healing, really, that needs to be done. So we thank you for that and pray now that we would respond accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.